Hey, have you heard of that song? Uh, when I was growing up, I don't know, if, I think it was after communism fell apart and uh, I was kind of hearing it. At one point, it became very popular. The, the one about the don't worry, be happy kind of thing. Oh, I, you're all smiling, you know, because you all, you all want to be happy. Uh, it, it's funny, you know, as you think about it, because uh, we've been just talking about this uh, with our ministry team uh, this week. Uh, it's funny because sometimes in those uh, what we call secular songs, not specifically worship or Christian songs, sometimes they have a better theology than some of our worship songs, believe it or not. But it says, don't worry, be happy. Uh, this morning I'm thinking about happiness. One of the most difficult things I believe to define when you think about happiness, and I'm sure you've thought about happiness at least at one point in your life, if not at many points in your life. And we get to those points when we ask ourselves, uh, am I happy? Am I happy with my job? Am I happy with my spouse? Am I happy with my children? Am I happy with my grandchildren? Uh, am I happy with my neighbors, my neighborhood? Am I happy with my car? You ask yourself that question because I know some of you go and just say, I'm very unhappy with this car. I'll just go and get a new car. Am I happy with the way my life is rolling out? And so, uh, as I was thinking about happiness, I thought, well, what in the world is happiness? How do we understand it? Did I looked for a definition. Sure enough, I went on the internet, and of all things, of course, I went to the source of all knowledge and wisdom, uh, Wikipedia. <laughs> and so I got a simple definition. I mean, at least a good starting point. But it says this. It says, happiness is a mental or emotional state of well-being defined by positive or pleasant emotions ranging, now be careful, from contentment to intense joy. Wow, that's pretty cool. I like that. I like the intense joy part. And then it also says, though, a variety of biological, psychological, religious, and philosophical approaches have striven to define happiness and identify its sources. So there's an attempt. We're trying to figure it out. We're trying to figure out where happiness comes from. To me, that whole question is not so much of a question of definition, you know, that we have a well-written definition of what it is, but uh, it's more of a question of how. How in the world can we experience happiness in life? That question must be very important to people as you think about it because uh, we're all searching for the meaning of life. We're all trying to experience real life. And the simple fact that out there, uh, the market is literally flooded by literature trying to answer that question or give guidance on the question of happiness tells you how important this must be to all of us as human beings. And I'm going to touch on this a little later as well. But this morning I'm going to read uh, from a psalm uh, from the Old Testament. Mike, mark it down. It's going to be from the Bible. A psalm that addresses that question. It speaks about that idea of happiness. The psalm is called a wisdom psalm. A wisdom psalm. Because it teaches us a profound truth about who God is, about life, 
and in our case, about happiness. It is one of the passages from Scripture that tells us in a very simple, you will see, very simple and concise form, what a key to happiness may be. This psalm, as a way of introducing it, is uh, part of what is called uh, songs or psalms of ascent, ascension, going up. Uh, just to put it in perspective, in Israel, back then, there were several festivals. There were annual festivals. Every year, there'd be a number of festivals that people were called by God to celebrate. And so, people in Jerusalem, people in the whole area, and from all over the world where Jews lived, they would stream to Jerusalem and celebrate. They'd be part of those celebrations a certain number of times every year. And so, the scholars believe that these Psalms of Ascent, of going up, were songs or psalms that the people were singing as they were going up to Jerusalem, as they were approaching the holy city, God's presence, and the temple of God. Of course, you'd notice if you read even in the New Testament when it talks about going to Jerusalem, typically it says going up to Jerusalem. They went up to Jerusalem. And I haven't been there. I've said this before. But those of you who have visited, I know some of you have been there, and I've seen some of your pictures as well, you know that... Uh, Jerusalem is on a hill, so it's always kind of going up. That's why it says going up, for that reason. But here's what Psalm 128 says. And if you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to open. doesn't matter which version. I'm going to be reading this morning from the ESV. Last week was the New Stephan's version. If you remember, I did a little bit of my own translation. Uh, this week is uh, a recognized version which is the ESV, if your words are slightly different, don't get too anxious. Uh, you can also uh, look it up on your phone or whatever you have in your hands. It's Psalm 128. It's a few brief verses. It says this, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands, you shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Amen. As you can see, Psalm 128 starts in a very straightforward way, with a very straightforward statement about being blessed. It says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Now, in our southern culture, welcome, blessing and to be blessed could mean just about anything. If you're a good southerner, you'd use some of these expressions like Shana says, bless your heart. It really is universal language. If you're from the north and you want to be an honorable uh, citizen of this state and this county, you've got to learn that to blend in very well. Just say, bless your heart. And it can be frustrated. You can be happy. It's just bless your heart. 
So we realize it's a little watered down. We use it for everything and anything. But just to give us a little beginning, when we say blessing or blessed, that could be another way to just say happiness and to be happy. Both in the Hebrew language in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament in the Greek language, that word means to be fortunate, to be happy, to be privileged. But there's something we shouldn't miss. A blessing is not just to feel happy in a general way. It is a special favor from God. It is a special favor from God. Now the psalmist says that everyone who fears Yahweh, who fears the Lord, is blessed. See, he's not in the discrimination business. Uh, whether you're young or you're old, whether you're educated or not, whether you have a good or bad job, it makes no difference. He basically says, everyone who fears Yahweh is blessed. That special favor from God, that special happiness that God brings in our lives is available to all of us as long as you fear the Lord. And I know when I say these words, to fear the Lord or the fear of the Lord, in a lot of our heads, there's a red light that goes off. Because fear is one, not one of the best things we want to experience in our lives. But before we get too defensive or suspicious about this whole business of fearing God, let us think for a moment what this means. I want to challenge you, invite you, help me a little bit this morning. You've done it in the past. Can you turn to a neighbor and just say, hey, don't get too defensive too quickly. Come on, Mike. And you too, I hear they say. Good deal. Let's not get too suspicious or too defensive all too quickly. Uh, I can uh, admit to you that uh, if we start digging into this whole question of the fear of the Lord and its meaning and all its uh, ramifications, uh, we'll have to spend weeks and weeks talking about it. Uh, books are written on it. The scholars discuss this whole question. It's a big question. So uh, I'm not presuming that we can cover all these areas and implications in, in a Sunday morning message, but I want us to look at least at two things this morning that will give us some light on the question. The first thing is that uh, fearing God means simply to acknowledge God for who He is. So fearing God, the first thing is to acknowledge God for who He is. Sometimes we get our perspectives a little messed up, a little twisted. We forget who God really is and who we really are compared with God. And so God is God, and we are not God. We're humans created by God. He is the maker of all things that exist. He is eternal. He is absolutely independent in what He thinks and what He does. His plan and His will are always perfect. 
He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He rules over the whole universe. He is limitless. Nothing can contain him. Nothing can change his mind. Nothing can impede his plan. Nothing can diminish God's grace. Nothing can limit his love. This is the God we believe in. Oh, he's all-powerful. You thought I was, I was over? He's all-powerful. He's ever-present. He's all-knowing. He is holy. He is always just in his judgments. And he is trustworthy. You know why? Because he never, ever changes. And you can count on him. And God is the source of all goodness and all happiness. What about us? Well, we're described in the Bible as his servants. In fact, that word in the Hebrew language, in the Greek language, uh, is an interesting word. It's a very simple word, but it means a servant. It's also another meaning is a slave. We're also described in different ways as God's kingdom citizens. But those of us who believe in Him, God also calls us His children. In order to be happy, we need to understand and acknowledge who our God is and who we are in Him. And so what about the fear factor? What about that fear idea? What does it really mean to fear the Lord? To fear the Lord or fear the Lord is a good translation, in fact, of the Hebrew word there in uh, Psalm 128, verse 1. The problem is in our culture that idea of fear is typically associated with something negative. We try to avoid fear at any cost. At all costs. Our natural reaction to fear is uh, our basic instinct is to run away to defend ourselves or in some cases to fight back, to retaliate. It's fight or flight. But you see, the word fear includes more than that feeling of being scared. It's a much larger idea. And that's where we find the key to understanding it. Fear includes also this. It's a difficult word for me to say. Awe. A-W-E. You spelling bees? Awe. Reverent respect. Honor. In the Hebrew Bible, that uh, verb to fear appears as a synonym to words like to love, to cling to, to serve. In our day and age, we've come to think that fearing God means to be afraid of God, to be scared of God. And we certainly should understand the fact that God, in one way, is a scary God. But you see, he's scary, not because he's bad, but because he is holy, but because he is totally, he's utterly different than us and than everything that exists visible 
and invisible. You see, God can create and destroy with the word of his mouth. But he is also good. He is merciful. When you turn to him only by his grace, he forgives you all your sins. He gives you a new life and a new beginning. He is God who deserves to be honored and respected. And that's at least one thing that it means to fear him. I think in our church circles uh, for a good while, in our preaching and teaching and church discussions, uh, we have focused way too much on God as a scary being. I remember years ago, I was, uh, uh, well, actually many years ago, uh, in a church, and uh, the pastor called the kids to come up front, just as we did this morning, and kids came up front, and there were cameras and everything, and that it was a bigger church. And so the kids were lined up, and they were talking to them. They were going to pray for them. And one of the kids was kind of dancing or acting out a little bit, which is just kids. That's what they do. But apparently, the mom got really upset. She got really ashamed by it. And so she pulled that kid out afterwards. And during all the time of, of Sunday school for kids, she had the kid sit down in another room and write down a verse from the Bible repeatedly as a punishment, as a consequence. You see, that's the kind of idea of that fear that the Bible and God must be something scary, must be something out there to uh, watch uh, where we do wrong so we could be punished, so there's bad consequences. It's time to fear God, not, not by being scared of Him, but by honoring Him, by respecting Him with the highest awe we possibly can. It's time to recover that sense of God's goodness, of His love, of His mercy, of His grace. This means to be mindful that God is with us in our daily life. It means to be aware of the fact that He sees you everywhere and in any situation you find yourself, 24-7. It means that in everything you do, you acknowledge Him for who He is. It means that when elections come, that we acknowledge God's sovereign power and plan and the fact that nothing happens in this world, including in this country, without God's knowledge and without His permission. I know some of you get real upset around election time. Because I see you on Facebook. And I see some fingers going around right now. But let me say this. Would you believe that even bad politicians can get to power by God's permission? I didn't say that was God's specific choice, but God allows certain things to happen, sometimes for a mysterious to us reason. We don't know why. If we were God, we'd do it differently. We'd mess it up pretty quickly and differently, right? 
But for some mysterious reasons, God sometimes allows things like that to happen. It also means that when you're feeling not so well, you're struggling with a health issue. You turn to God in trust and obedience, with confidence, because you know that God is with you, that God is a caring God, that He never abandons His children. It means that when you're facing an important life decision or life transition, that you make that step forward by inviting God to lead you, to direct you, because you know that His plan is perfect and that God never, ever, ever fails. You see, happening, ha happiness and blessing in life begin when you start honoring God as the Creator, as the Savior and Lord of your life. It begins when you acknowledge God for who God is, when you turn to Him with reverence and respect. The psalmist says, Blessed is everyone who fears, who honors Yahweh. When you honor God, you will experience His special favor. And that's just the beginning. There's a second part. The psalmist says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. Who walks in His ways. Now I'm sure that if you've been to a bookstore at least once in the last 10 years, or if you've watched just a little bit of TV, or you've talked to family or friends, you've come across dozens, hundreds, if not thousands of ideas of how to be happy in life. Think about all the books that are out there promising you happiness. If you would only do those seven steps in your life, if you only make those three crucial New Year's resolutions, it's almost that time of the year now. You're getting ready for the New Year's resolutions. If you simply get this free guide to happiness, of course, you just don't pay, you know, $9.99 for shipping and handling. One of my seminary professors used to say, you know, one book says seven steps to this, another book says whatever, ten points to that. When you add them up, it's like 100 points. I cannot handle that. But you see, uh, TV stars, promoters, advertise all kinds of products that will help you discover your new self. You'll be better looking, you'll be thinner, you'll have more hair, you'll have brighter looking teeth. If you dress in this or that brand of clothing, you can now buy one and get two free. You can have a better and faster car than you can, that you can drive with the speed limit anyway. I don't know why Shane is laughing, but uh, I think I got you this time. See, in the world we live in, we're surrounded by thousands of Oprahs and Dr. Phil's and whatnot. Even in a, in a Christian community, there's different voices on how to achieve happiness. And some out there teach you that you can just name it and claim it, just Tell God what you want and He's supposed to just 
make it happen. You deserve to be happy. You have to find your destiny and fulfillment in life, your best life today. But the psalmist affirms that we are going to be blessed in a much simpler way. When you honor God, when you walk in His ways. To me, that's like a one-step program. When you walk in God's ways. So the question, of course, is what is God's ways? What does that mean? Well, I would say that God's ways simply refer to the manner, to the way in which God has created things to work best. These are God's commands that have the goal to provide us with understanding and guidance. So we would know how to honor God and how to live a good life individually, personally, but also with one another. God's ways are the things that God has laid out for us to help us figure out the best way to live, to figure out what is honorable, to figure out what is right and wrong, how to love, how to help one another as humans, how to solve conflicts, how to live in peace with one another. These are the ways in which we're able to live in harmony with God himself and with each other. That is God's perfect plan, his own design. And you may be, may be asking yourself, well, how do I know God's ways? How do I figure that out? And it's a simple answer. We find God's ways in God's Word. His instructions, His teaching, His expectations are all recorded in our Bibles. And most of all, we see the perfect example of how this could be lived out in the person, the life, the teachings, the ministry, the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is not only showing us the way, telling us about God, but He says in the Gospel of John, recorded for us, He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. You see, God's ways are not a mystery. You don't need a Da Vinci Code to uncover what God means. You don't need a special password. There's nothing secretive or a difficulty to access or achieve God's ways. You don't need a special education to know about the things that God values and how you can honor God. God has given us His Word so we can know Him, so we can honor Him, so we can obey His commands. In fact, you cannot quite honor someone you don't really know. But in the Word of God, God Himself reveals His being, His character, and everything we need to know so we can be in a personal and deep relationship with Him individually and as a community of Christ followers. 
when you honor God, you will experience His special favor. The commands of God are the best guide for us to know how to live a good life and how to be happy. And knowing that is great. But it's time to walk in God's ways. And that walking business sometimes gets us a little confused. What does it, what does it mean to walk in God's ways? You know, in the Hebrew language, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, in the Greek, that's just an expression. It's just a way to point to a simple word that we have in English. I really love that word. In my language, in Bulgarian, we don't have quite one word to say the same thing. But it's the word lifestyle. So when you read in the Bible when it says uh, to walk in God's ways, or someone walked with God, what it's meant is simply that somebody lived a lifestyle according to God's principles. That they were in a intimate relationship with God and lived according to God's prescriptions. So we're talking about the lifestyle. You see, walking in God's ways as a lifestyle, that's not an event. It's not a Christian conference you go to. It's not a Sunday morning worship service. It is not a one-day deal. It's not a one-week deal. It's not a five-year program. It is the way you live daily. Day after day, all the days of your life. This is what you do from the moment you wake up to the moment you go back to bed in the evening. Lifestyle is when you eat breakfast, when you talk with your spouse, when you talk with your children, when you talk with your grandchildren. Lifestyle is when you go to work and you deal with all kinds of people, sometimes difficult people. Maybe a boss that is aggressive and somewhat disrespectful sometimes. Lifestyle is when you pass through the drive-thru and they mess up your order. Lifestyle is when you get someone to install tile in your kitchen and they, they do a sloppy job and they overcharge you. That's lifestyle. Lifestyle is everyday life in which we live out our faith in obedience to God's commands. It is in that lifestyle that we're going to discover that there is a blessing, a real blessing from God. Because happiness is only possible when you live your life in the way it has been designed by God to be lived. When you honor God, you will experience his special favor. Now, in our church circles, I think, I've thought about this for several years, in fact, I think we've somehow come to a misunderstanding. We have this tendency, this propensity, to make a false distinction between sacred and mundane, ordinary between spiritual and worldly, between church activities and daily life, between Sunday and the rest of the week, between ministry and regular job. 
But how in the world are you going to take God out of your job? How in the world are you going to take God out of your driving? How in the world are you going to take God out of your shopping or going to the bank or taking care of your grandkids or traveling or doing anything in life? You see, walking in God's ways is nothing less than a lifestyle in which we experience the blessing of a life that is lived according to how it's been created and designed to be lived. When you honor God, you will experience His special favor. The psalmist, in fact, offers us a glimpse of what this could look like. He makes that connection between how you live your life in relation to God and the kind of life you're going to enjoy as a result of that. He paints a picture of what it means to be happy in his own day and age. He describes how God will be favorable towards you if you honor him and live a life in obedience to God's commands. He says, uh, he says this, You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. That's verse 2. In other words, he says, if you're following God's ways, if you live a lifestyle of obedience to God, of honoring God, of respecting God, then God will provide. You will have special favor in the work of your hands. You have a job. And you will produce in a way that will feed you, that will supply for your needs, for your family. Then he also goes on to say that uh, the wife of such a man, in this case, will be as fruitful as a vine. And his children will be like olive shoots. As some of you, if you've been to uh, Israel or some, some of those places, you've traveled around, you've probably seen those olive trees, how they look like. In his day and age, vines and olive trees were extremely valuable because that's how you made wine and also olive oil. We pay big money for olive oil today, but it was also valuable back then. They used it in various ways. So those are traditional, traditional very important items on your table at that time. If you had those, you had something good. He had something really valuable. And it's just like a person has these items on the table. A person will feel content, satisfied, not lacking, happy. That's how such a person will experience God's special favor. Now today, our understanding is different. There's no doubt that we live in a different time and age and, and everything's different. We cannot quite compare one-to-one -one our lives with the life of the psalmist. Conditions and circumstances have changed. We live in a technological world. Uh, certainly we'll define some of our needs in different ways. Some things that were very 
basic and necessary or so important for them back then would be something trivial, something very ordinary to us today. But if I ask around, I'm sure that we all will agree that we have needs of different kinds. But the one thing that is not changing is that happiness is still the result of God's favor. He's the one who blesses you. He's the one who allows you to experience happiness in life. As far as we're concerned, all we need to do is to honor God. Obey Him in our daily life. Because when you honor God, you will experience His special favor. I think happiness and God's blessing are closer than sometimes we get to think. I think it's easier to experience than sometimes we feel. We feel sometimes a little bit of a distance, like as if this is something that cannot be quite achieved. We're not sure about it. But I want to assure you this morning that happiness in God's blessing is not a formula. It's not a seven-step program that guarantees a success and fulfillment in life. But if you honor God, if you obey His commands as a way of life, as a lifestyle, then God will certainly not fail in pouring over you His special favor in ways that will make you feel accomplished, content, fortunate, privileged, and happy. Help me as I finish this message. Turn to one of your neighbors and remind them. When you honor God, you will experience His special favor. Can you do that? Amen. Amen. His special favor. His special favor.